So much football in this edition of Talk of Champions. Guest co-host Nick Suss. The guest is Mike Clement with a football slant. Yes, we talk Ole Miss baseball. But Jerry Ealy, John Rice Plumley, balancing baseball and football. The demands of both sports. It's all coming up in just a little bit. But first, let me tell you about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. One of many proud sponsors of this here podcast. If you're in the market for a new car, there is no better time to buy at Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Not only do they now have in stock the 2020 Jeep Gladiator, which is half Wrangler, half truck, it's the perfect car for me, but also 20% off select Ram trucks. And I know, I know, no one really loves the car buying process. I'm with you. It can be overwhelming. You're just looking for the best deal. Well, Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is here for you. And what separates Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aim to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. Maybe that'll help when you buy that 2020 Jeep Gladiator, that 4x4 truck you've been looking for. 20% off right now. Select Ram Trucks. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. And now, it's Talk of Champions. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. that time again for talk of champions i'm ben garrett at spirit ben on twitter today's guest co-host is nick suss covers Ole miss for the clarion ledger today's guest on the modern woodman phone line is mike clement Ole miss baseball hitting coach yeah we cover a lot of baseball but it's a football slant jerry on ely john rice plumley the baseball scouting reports how does baseball recruiting and football recruiting compare talk of champions is powered by bna bank first up it's nick suss hey bud how you doing not too much, man. How you doing, Ben? I'm good. What's it like out there at practice? You staying cool? I'm trying to. I mean, uh, when you stay on the grass side of the field, at least it's a little bit cooler. You take one step onto the turf side of the field and uh, you start to melt. But uh, luckily, I don't have to wear full pads. If I was in a helmet, I think I would be a lot less comfortable. You don't have to wear a dress shirt and a tie either, but you do. I do half the time. Uh, I'll go week on, week off, depending on how... If, uh, you know, consistent I am with my laundry schedule, but I don't know. I like being weird. You know that about me. When's the last time you wore a shirt and shorts out in public? Do you count when I went to Walmart an hour ago? Okay. All right. That's fine. Don't really count though when it's your work environment. Do you feel like you have to dress professionally for this job that's not that serious? Yeah. I mean, so when I was in college, I was a shorts guy. I did not own a pair of pants. Like my full four years of college, I never once wore anything below the knee. And the second I graduated, I was like, okay, that was, that was child stuff. You should uh, try to be an adult now. And I think I overcorrected a little bit. Yeah, you're the drinker. You're the drinker that doesn't really drink much until you become of age, but then you try it for once. And then rather than drink responsibly, you become an alcoholic. Yeah, and, and I think it's better to do that with clothing than it is alcohol. So I disagree. I don't, you see, I don't think I can get addicted to ties. I, I might be, who knows, but I, I think that's a, light, a little bit of a healthier addiction, probably. You thought you were co-hosting this podcast. Really, you were stepping into an intervention about your ties. Ben, if this was the first time I'd stepped into a surprise intervention, then I would I would be more stunned, but I'm so used to this. Yeah, 
especially for me. I'm always criticizing Nick for any number of things. Okay, no one cares about that. Mike Clement coming up in about 15 minutes. First and foremost, football practice. You're out there every single day. I've asked every single guest co-host that's come on to talk about football practices. Their greatest takeaways right now. You're 10 days out from the season starting at Memphis. Where are things in your opinion? Well, I mean, the easiest takeaway is that I can't say for certain I know anything. Uh, we, what we get to see, and I'm sure everybody who you've talked to has said this, we don't get to see enough to say what the team looks like. We can say what individual players look like. And I can throw some things like, oh, man, Grant Tisdale spins the ball a little bit better than he did in the spring. Or I can tell you about how Snoop Connor is running with the ones during individual drills and stuff like this. But the takeaway is they're playing everything real close to the vest. They don't want Memphis to know what's coming. And I think that's the best way they can stay competitive with Memphis by the time 10 days from now comes is the complete element of surprise. I mean, there's 20 years of tape of Rich Rodriguez offenses and there's 20 years of tape of Mike McIntyre defenses. So it's going to be hard to surprise anybody, but with this new personnel grouping and with this borderline hundred percent new roster, it feels like, Everything's a surprise. Everything is completely out of the blue. And I like to pretend I know what's going to happen, but I think there might be about four people on the planet who know what's going to happen, and they all live in that ops building. Yeah, we don't get much time to look at this team, to watch this team in practice, but you can tell about the personality, right? That with Rich Rod, who, look, if I have a bad mouth, I can say this. Rich Rod's got a bad mouth, but it's great. It works. It fits. Mike McIntyre, completely different, but it's working so far. You can tell the personality of this team is going to be different from last year, year before that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's yet to be seen how many football games personality can win, but personality is different. You can tell demeanor, aggressiveness, tempo, all of these things seem to be up, and it seems to be funneling from the top down with Rich Rod on the offense, uh, funneling some of this physicality that maybe the offense lacked in the last couple of years under Phil Longo. And then on the defense, you can kind of see Mike McIntyre's analytical bent kind of paying off and the players seem to be much more aware of their assignments, aware of their responsibilities and thinking a little harder about what they need to do instead of just kind of chasing and reacting, which I think that's a good sign. I think that players being more informed on defense is going to I mean, cut down on some of the missed assignments that maybe have hampered this defense the past couple of years. And the flip side on the offense, maybe they have been too reliant on natural physical talent and now this aggression and this demeanor this physicality could uh pay dividends so i think you're right i think that we've noticed that the personality of these coaches is fed into the uh, personality of the team and i think matt corral being at the top helps with that with the offense as well he's definitely another guy that is a lot different than jordan tamu if you're talking about rich rod being a fiery guy matt's not that far behind so yeah i think the top figureheads of this team are really changing the dynamic of of what the demeanor is. Talking to players and coaches, watching limited viewing, what are the common consistent themes, threads, that we can glean with 10 days to go before the season opener? What have been the consistent themes of fall camp? I think that the, the two consistent words we heard out of the Saturday scrimmage most recently were improvements and energy. They really are trying to up the energy, and they, they thought of this second scrimmage as a big step forward from the first, but still a place you can build off of. So I think they've kind of broken camp into three segments. It's the learning phase, it's the get better phase, and then it's the installation phase. And right now they're kind of 
teetering in between, hey, they still want to get better. They still want to really teach this team that at its core is absurdly young. But also it's time to start focusing on Memphis. And Matt Luke said on Monday that they're going to be splitting this week 50-50 between Memphis and themselves. I think that's probably a good strategy. Uh, when you're talking about recurring themes, youth is impossible to avoid. I wouldn't be shocked if by the time August 31st rolls around, eight of the 11 second stringers on offense are true freshmen. I think that on defense, it could end up being four or five. You just have so much youth on this team that it's hard to treat them like maybe the team last year where you could have started preparing for Texas Tech on August 1st and nobody would have been worse for wear. This year, you need to teach them how to play college football. And that's what they've been doing. That's been a consistent focus. But they can't really start playing until they show up at the Liberty Bowl. So it's a it's a double-edged sword there. How far into the Memphis install are they? As of Monday, they had just started. So they spent about 30, 40 minutes of practice on Monday, the, the back half of practice talking about, at least offensively, they did start talking about installation and uh, a couple of schematic things. Uh, and Matt said that the plan is to use half of practice every day throughout this week to start contributing to install. And then obviously they'll put a full-fledged game week plan when next week rolls around. So right now I'd probably guess no bigger than 10%. But that's obviously a pretty big leg up if you can get that with two weeks before the game. What do we know about this team right now? <laughs> Last year, you knew wide receivers yeah. were going to carry things offensively. Jordan Tiamu, solid, steady at quarterback. The offense had a philosophy. Now it was flawed, but you knew what it was. So what do we know about this team right now? The few things that I can say I know for certain, they're going to probably be fine at inside linebacker. They have so many options there. I really like what I've seen from Lakia Henry. And obviously, Momo Sanogo was one of the more consistent players on the defense last year. Then you can rotate in Jaquez Jones and Willie Hibbler and Dante Evans. I think that's a position where they feel pretty confident. I think that they are pretty confident in their slot wide receivers, whether it's Elijah Moore or Tylen Knight or sometimes Braylon Sanders will bump in. I think that position is... Obviously, they're not going to have A.J. Brown there again, but it shouldn't be as big of a drop-off as you would expect when you lose a player like A.J. Brown. And I think they're pretty confident in Matt Corral. You don't name a freshman a starter um, back in the spring unless you know he's the guy. And he played pretty well last year. I think it's been lost in the shuffle of just how productive he was, albeit mostly in garbage time when he came in to clean up. I think this team is going to be built around his ability. I, I think that... There's deservedly so maybe not much national hype for this Ole Miss team, but if there were, it would all be coming because of Matt Corral. So right now, if you ask me what do I know for certain, Matt's the starting quarterback, and they seem pretty content to say if he's the starter there and Scotty's the starter at running back and Elijah's one of the starters at receiver, the offense has its core. And they have running backs. Yeah, they have a lot of running backs. Uh, the reason I didn't include them on the list is because I have no idea who's going to be second. Right now, Snoop Connor looks like he's slightly ahead of Isaiah Woolard and looks like those guys are slightly ahead of Jerrion Ely. But I would frankly be stunned if all four of them didn't touch the ball against Memphis. They're, they're going to get everybody involved. If you made me guess, which one will fall victim to fewer <laughs> carries because of the one ball and four guys to carry it? Isaiah Woolard, he has the least amount of upside of the other two in Snoop and Jerry on Ely. You know Scotty's going to get touches, but if one guy's going to be sacrificed to the ball, it's going to be Isaiah Willard. 
I think so. And I would also say I've seen Jerry on the entire camp working at kick and punt return. I've seen Snoop involved on kick return more as an up back than as a return man, but he is back there. I haven't seen Isaiah as involved in special teams or as involved in the passing game. He just doesn't fit his game very well. He's more of a downfield plugger kind of dude. Which I understand moving Devon Penniman to tight end to free up some space because, again, if you kept him back there, that's too many running backs, too many options. But I still think that four running backs is a lot. And maybe when it's all said and done, Jerrion ends up doing more of what Tylen Knight's been doing coming out of the slot and being a motion man so you can get him on the field with Scotty or him on the field with Snoop. But, yeah, I think that... Isaiah might have the advantage early just because he does have college reps. And I don't remember the, the number off the top of my head, but I think he averaged more than six or seven yards per carry against SEC teams last year. He did play pretty well, but upside, you're right. He, he's definitely a peg behind those other two. Devon Penniman at tight end is so interesting. I don't yeah. see him as a tight end. He doesn't have that explosiveness, that athleticism I would see there. But he can be an H-back. I mean, Ole Miss played Nick Parker, who looked just like Devon Penniman to me at tight end, and it kind of worked. He could block, and he caught a few passes. But being a traditional, or not traditional, but in the sense of a spread offense, that type of tight end, Devon Penniman doesn't fit that mold. But what's he looked like? Has he looked somewhat natural, or does he still look like a running back playing tight end? Yeah, I mean, we use tight end to be the all-encompassing term to mean H-back, Y-back, and F-back now. So... He's going to be one of those. I just don't know if I think he's more of an H-back with an F-back kind of bent. But yeah, I mean, I've watched him run routes. He seems more fluid than you would expect for somebody who hasn't put his hand in the dirt since he was 10 years old. But the problem seems to be he is still just a downhill runner. Yeah, he's a lumbering Uh, big dude. Yeah. Like I watch him run routes and I think that is his hips are looser than I expected and He's shifting an open space well, but I think he had a quote something where as a running back, you are always looking to hit somebody. You're always just trying to go into the contact. And as a tight end, you might have to steer away from the contact a little more often so you can find yourself places to get open or find lead blockers or all of this stuff. And that instinct is hard to teach yourself out of. So technically, I think the skills may end up being there. I do think he's a good athlete and his knee seems to be all cleaned up, but you never know with just a running back moving to tight end. That's a lot of instincts to teach. That voice you hear is Nick Suss. He covers Ole Miss for the Jackson Clarion Ledger at Nick Suss on Twitter. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com and affiliate of 247 Sports. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions in iTunes. Leave a five-star review. Call me an idiot. I don't care. Just make it five stars. I need it. I want it. Wherever you get your podcast, we should be there. If I'm not, well, tell me. At Spirit Ben. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. Uh, before we get to Mike Clement, I wanted to ask you about the special teams. I know it's kind of boring. No one really focuses on the special teams. Mac Brown wasn't very good last year as a punter. Logan played pretty well at place kicker. Accurate enough. Not a lot of distance to his leg last year. Who's the punt returner? Who's kick returner? What are your overall takeaways right now for how Ole Miss stacks up special teams wise? So, yeah, I mean, punt returning to me is the place that they can improve the most over oh, the last no year. Oh, no doubt, man. counting defense. Yeah. They, were, they, they had, what, 11 punt returns for 113 yards or something like that last year. They were bottom five in the country. They were real bad. Uh, the four guys who have been working as punt return options right now are Elijah Moore, Braylon Sanders, Jerry Ely, 
and Jaden Jackson, the true freshman receiver at Arkansas. Those are the guys that we see every day back there working punts. I haven't seen as much kick returning. They've only worked kick returning twice in the media period since we've been out there. And the guys they had back there returning kicks was giant, mixed up mumble of everything. I think Jalen Jones will end up being the guy just like he was last year before he got hurt. And obviously people remember his explosiveness back there from the Texas Tech games. So if he's back to form where he was pre-ACL injury, I think that is a hole that might end up fixing itself. It's, if it's not Jalen Jones, I'd be shocked if Jerry Ely doesn't get a chance. I'd be surprised if somebody like Dennis Jackson, who's just an absolute burner, doesn't get a chance to catch some of those. As for kicker and punter, it's still Luke and Mac are the guys. Mac Brown has been practicing a lot of those rugby style punts um, no. in practice. He's 50 50. He, they, they seem to prepare for everything. I'm not the biggest fan of a rugby punt either. They suck. But yeah, I mean, you watch them. It seems to me like it's a better chance of kicking it into your own player. But I understand the role you get on a rugby punt, and I understand why you prep both of them. But it seems like they are prepping both of them. And as for place kicking, kicker's going to kick. If he has to kick 21 more red zone field goals, he's probably going to make 19 or 20 of the 21. You just don't want to kick 21 red zone field goals again. Yeah, you just don't want to see Luke Logan very much. That's the whole deal. Here's my thing with kick return, and this is why I brought up the whole conversation to begin with. It would terrify me to put Jalen Jones back there again. Terrify me. He's so important for them defensively. Yes, he's explosive. On the off chance he returns a kick for a touchdown – it's too much of a gamble. I'm rolling with Jerry on Ely or Dennis Jackson, somebody that has that upside. I can get by, and you don't want anything to happen to anybody. Let's not get it twisted here. You don't want Jerry on to get hurt. Don't want Dennis to get hurt. But if something did happen back there to one of those guys, Ole Miss can afford to lose one of those dudes over losing Jalen Jones. And that yeah, sounds I've, like a I've... prickish thing to say, but understand the point. I don't want anybody to get hurt, but if – I can afford a loss somewhere. It's at running back and wide receiver. Yeah, I will try to put it in to use your parlance less prickish terms because I completely agree with you. Um, There is no position this fall that I have been more confused by their lack of depth than cornerback because it seems like right now Olmus is carrying seven corners and 12 safeties, which feels backwards. It feels like you should always have those are interchangeable in this type of defense, though. They are. They certainly are. But so when they run a nickel, this fall, the plan has been you take one of the outside linebackers on the fi- off the field and you bring a corner on. So in the nickel, Miles Hartsfield comes either from sideline to nickel and they bring on Kedron Smith or Jalen Jones. At that point, you have all three of the corners that Mike McIntyre has outwardly said he trusts on the field. So your base nickel has all of the cornerbacks that you know to trust. After that, it's been a mixed of a bunch of guys, Jamar Richardson, Jacory, uh, they have so many guys that maybe could be that fourth corner, but I off the top of my head have no idea. That's the position that I really think is the thinnest is cornerback. And you can't risk re-injury for Jalen Jones. Of course, I think you're right there. Uh, mostly just because I don't know who his replacement would be. Jalen Julius, probably Keydron would get the first try at it, but then, Jalen Julius can move over from safety. Jamar Richardson is going to play and play a lot by yeah, the time the season's over, but he's a Juco. It takes Juco's um, different timelines to get ready. And you don't want to overly rely on Juco's, as we talked about on this podcast on Monday. And if Ole Miss is relying on Jamar Richardson and Jonathan Haynes and Sam Williams and Lakia Henry, sound the alarms. That's not good. But, yeah, I think Keydron, he was my pick to click this year. 
the guy that I thought could really break out. So y- your point is valid, but in this defense, any number of guys can slide over. Jalen's had For that sure. ability. A number of different dudes could step into cornerback and be fine. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit, been on Twitter. He's Nick Suss going now to the Modern Women phone line to speak to Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clements. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. It wasn't so long ago, I'm talking a couple of months, where financially I needed some help. Not that I was struggling, but getting my finances in order, organizing my money so that I'm in the best position for retirement, preparing for college for my kids, and everything else. I'm sure most every one of you can relate. And that's why you should do like me and contact Thomas Chandler today. He's your local Modern Woodman representative, and he'll get you right for retirement or savings or whatever you need. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. What does Modern Woodman do, though, you might ask? Financial security for you and your family through life insurance, financial planning, and financial services. Quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities. And community impact through volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. It's time to get rid of your financial burden. Contact Thomas Chandler, 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Or you can check him out at www.modernwoodman.org. www.modernwoodman.org. That's Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman phone line is Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. I know baseball is not in season. It's football season. But we haven't done much of a baseball update in quite some time, and the man to go to is Mike Clement. Mike, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on, man. It was a busy summer for a lot of the guys going out to different summer leagues. Doug Nikhazy was with Team USA. Um, Tim Elko had a nice summer in Fond du Lac. There were a lot of different guys that needed to have good summers. First and foremost, um, what's your biggest takeaway from the summer for the Ole Miss guys that were out there? Yeah, like you said, it's it's a you know a little bit of a transi- transition year, and and obviously for me from a from an offensive standpoint, um, you know it, it reminds me a little bit, and, and fans may cringe on some level at this, uh, the transition from 2016 season to 2017 season. We're going to have a highly ranked recruiting class coming in here. There's going to be a lot of turnover from an offensive standpoint. Um, and I think there's some things we can do better. We weren't very good offensively in 2017. Um, but part of that is what made us good in 18 and 19 offensively. Um, but, you know, my goal from an offensive standpoint is not to not to take a break from, uh, offensively and, and, you know, how are we going to get the new guys good right away? And, you know, what, what, what returners are going to step up that maybe haven't yet, like, like we've talked about. So uh, to, to directly answer your question, there were, we, we really did not have a ton of offensive guys that went out, but the guys that we had go out had really good summers. So um, Justin Bench and Josh Hall both went up to the perfect game league in New York. Um, and I think Bench was the, was the, you know, their, their MVP of, of their team and was an all-star and um, had a great summer and, and Hall did too. Both of those guys stole more than 20 bases. Both of them, you know, put up really good numbers in a, in a pretty decent league. Um, and then Elko went up to the Northwoods league, which is a good league, a league that you really got to grind it out. Cause they play a ton of games and hit close to 300 and, um, hit four or five home runs and just, just got a lot of at bats, which as you know, we needed him, him to get because he's, he's kind of that guy I'm talking about. He's a guy that's been around our program for a couple of years and hasn't had a ton of success, but He's a guy that needs to needs to step forward. It's his time to to have some success for us. Um, you know, the one the one guy who struggled was was Servidio, went to the Cape, 
um, and struggled offensively from the reports I got from scouts and coaches. Uh, he was really, really good defensively, which, which won't surprise you, but um, scuffled a little bit offensively. And I don't know if that's just wear and tear, you know, first time playing every day, all season. Um, and they didn't have a great approach and, and, and just scuffled. So, um, but, but overall, I think it was a really good summer. You know, we didn't have a ton of pitchers go out. It's just hard to send pitchers out. I think we would have shut Nikhazy down had he not gotten invited to Team USA. Um, but that's obviously a huge honor to get invited to that. So he went out and threw really limited innings for them. They don't play a ton of games because they're traveling the world. So uh, overall, I think a really good summer for us. Gunner went to Florida, the Florida Collegiate Summer League. Not only did he pitch, but he hit, mostly hit, actually. And when you look at the numbers, the OBP was good. The slug was pretty good. Is he a guy that, when you look and project next year's offense, you expect him to contribute in some meaningful way? I don't know if expect is the right word. Um, and, and really, the, the only reason I say that is because of what we are expecting out of him on the mound. Um, I think he's got a real chance to be a guy from an offensive standpoint. You know, both him and Doug came in as two-way guys. And I think with both of them, it's just so hard from a two-way guy perspective, when you're that good on the mound or you have that big of a role on the mound, um, you know, to allow a guy to hit because what happens when he <laughs> takes a hit by pitch and blows up a finger and, and can't pitch for us. But I will say this, this fall will be important for, for, for Gunner because uh, he's the guy I, that I think has a chance from an offensive perspective. I think he's got a chance to DH for us. Um, if, you know, as we sit here and talk on August 20th, I feel that way. So, um, that was important to him and important to us that, Hey, if we're going to give this a run this fall, um, of letting you hit, you need to go out and swing the bat this, 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 uh, summer, just because you got plenty of innings on the mound and we know what he can do there. And we feel like he's going to continue to get better there. Um, but it's kind of make or break for him this fall, um, from an offensive perspective and let's, let's give it a real go and, uh, and see if you can contribute because like we talked about at the front, there's some spots open. That's a little, and that's a little bit different than maybe, maybe the last two years. It's football crazy time in Oxford. You feel it. Ole Miss and Memphis kick off at about a week. In the running back backfield is Jerion Ely, five-star running back, but also a highly touted baseball prospect. I haven't asked you or Mike, what is y'all scouting report on Jerion? And when you do get your hands on him, what he could be, what your expectations would be for him? Yeah, I think he's got a chance to be special. Um, the, the challenge is, you know, I, I, yesterday was his birthday. I was texting back and forth with him uh, yesterday and telling him happy birthday and, and, and to stay healthy um, and, and not get killed over there because, uh, because we, he's got a spring to play too. And we were, we were laughing back and forth about that. But uh, from, from a baseball standpoint, man, the tools are off the chart, you know, super highly ranked baseball player um, had a really good summer, you know, going into his senior year of high school, didn't have the best senior year down at Jackson prep, uh, from a baseball standpoint, um, but the tools are off the chart. The challenge for both him and John Rice Plumley um, is because they're position players. Uh, if they were arms that were 94, 95, you know, we'd say, hey, come on out, you know, whenever, <laughs> whenever it's your turn to pitch and let's go. But as you know, offensively, there's a lot of maintenance that comes with um, being a hitter. And so with both of those guys, the, the schedule and the, and the workload are really important. Now, you know, like we talked about with, with coach Luke and the recruiting process, 
um, you know, when it's fall, it's football season for both of those guys. And when it's spring, it's baseball season for both of them, but that's all they know. Um, and so I think the workload becomes really important. Now with Ely, um, the tools are off the chart. Like you give him a ball and put him in center field and say, Hey, throw it as hard as you can to home plate. It's going to be like 96 miles an hour. Like it's a special arm. Obviously it's a special run tool. Um, he's strong and can hit the ball out of the yard for him. It's more about playing the game of baseball. Um, now to his credit, him and John rice, those guys both played baseball a ton in the summer, which you don't see very often with football guys. They're doing seven on seven or football practice or whatever, but baseball was really important to both of those guys. So they have more at bats in their lifetime than most dual sport football, baseball guys. So, um, we're excited about both those guys. Um, you know, I think it's the first time since Sinquez Golson that, that we've had guys that, that do both. Um, and like I said, the maintenance of getting reps in, coming over here at night, getting swings in on their own, those kinds of things are really important. You brought up Sinquez, and I'm glad you did because you've had guys that have tried to do this and it's flamed out. The demands are so yep. hard for both sports that ultimately you have to choose. Is it possible to sustain a dual career in college or do ultimately you just have to make the choice. So if Jerry and John Rice get to the place where it's baseball or football, can they keep going? Can they finish their college careers playing both sports? Yeah, really, really good question. Um, I would be foolish to sit here and, and say, um, oh, for sure. You know, it's easy because it's not. You don't see it very often. Um, and I think a lot of times, like with Sinquez, um, from a coaching standpoint, you've just got to allow the natural process to take over. And with kids, you know, uh, you get redshirted over there in the fall and you don't play much in your redshirt freshman year and you're a freshman All-American in baseball. You tend to like what you have success with. Or the flip side is true. You know, you go over there and um, you're really good and you come over here and, man, you're a little bit rusty and you're getting spotty at bats and all of a sudden you turn into a football player. And that's the challenge. Um, do I think it can happen? Absolutely. But you look back over the history here, um, you know, there are some guys who have done it, but like you said, it's spotty. You know, you've got Seth Smith who, you know, had a 12 year big league career. Um, and if you talk to Seth, which, which we've done when he played, he come over and visit, he said he would, call himself an all-American holder because he was the only Manning's backup. And so um, it was fairly easy for him, but he loved football. So he did it all the way through, even though Eli was going to going to start every game. Um, and then you got Sinquez who had limited success, you know, from a baseball standpoint um, and then turned into an all-American on the football field. So it typically, you're right, swings one way or the other. Um, but, but we have made, uh, we have, we have told both John Rice, and Ely, um, that we are going to exhaust every opportunity for them to do both. And the football staff has told them the same thing. So um, I think that was big for those guys in the recruiting process. Um, and I know we're going to be men of our word. You know, we're going to allow them every opportunity to have success at both. Yeah. How does that recruitment work? Their football prospects, as far as their notoriety, right? Because you got John Rice was a four star, sure. Jerry on was top 50 five star running back. But y'all have to recruit them for your program, not just as a supplemental recruitment for football. So how do you handle that recruitment? Yeah, well, first of all, from a rules standpoint, it's awesome for us. 
Uh, and the reason I say it's awesome is because, and again, this could be a whole nother podcast, a whole nother interview. Uh, you and I have talked about it on and off the record a ton. We get 11.7 scholarships. So we only get 27 guys on scholarship. When you're recruiting guys of that caliber, they're on football's dime. And so it's an easy yes for us baseball. These are conservatively speaking top 200 players in the country from a baseball standpoint with Ely. He was probably a top 50 player in the country played in the all American game and all of that. Um, but, but I don't want to downplay John Rice either. Um, same deal. So, uh, it's an easy yes for us because they turn into quote walk-ons for baseball. They don't count against our 11.7. So from that standpoint, it's like, heck yes, man, here are two free players that are good enough to be baseball scholarship guys. They just happen to be four and five star football players. So they're on their dime. So that's number one. Um, that makes it really exciting for us. It just makes us better as a program from a baseball standpoint. But number two, you're right. Um, they have to be fits for our program. Both kids are Mississippi kids. Both kids have played with and against a ton of guys on our team, whether it be on the travel ball circuit uh, or high school baseball. Um, and so, and both of those guys, and I'm sure you've had a chance to meet them, have big personalities in different ways. They both have big personalities. And the reason I bring that up is I don't, one of the toughest transitions will be them walking into our locker room full time for the first time in January. And so that's the thing that you, you know, it's hard to quantify that. And you and I have talked about culture and all of that. How do you quantify leadership and those things? Um, but that's a real thing for them to walk into a brand new locker room and they'll have some experience with them in the fall with our guys. Um, but for the first time full time in January and expect to play in like four weeks. So that's the big thing with both of those guys. They have personality and energy to them that uh, is special. You know, like uh, a quick example of that is coach meets with some of the new guys in the summer. You know, they're just here for, for summer school and um, just talks about, hey, you, you know, the facility's open for you. And Plumlee is like in the first row. Doesn't have to be there. Really, none of the meeting with him pertains to him at all. Um, and he felt it to be important that he just show up over here and meet all the new guys and all of that. So just both of those guys, personality-wise, uh, I think it's a fit, and I think it'll be a smooth transition when it could be really tough if you have a different personality than what, what both of them have. What's the coordination like with football? Because y'all's directive for them, strength and conditioning-wise, might be different. Um, for Jerion being not necessarily a power hitter, but in football he's a power runner, also got great sure. speed, obviously. But the focuses could contradict one another. So how do you coordinate that with football? Before that answer from Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement, let me tell you quickly about Grove Sharks tailgating and the Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood. The Ole Miss football season has arrived. It's here. And Grove Sharks tailgating can take care of all your game day needs. Locally owned and operated, Grove Sharks tailgating specializes in tent rentals and setup packages that can accommodate parties and gatherings of all sizes. For more information, visit Grove Sharks Tailgating at GroveSharks.com and like them on Facebook at Grove Sharks or contact owner Eric Trimble at 662-816-3493. The Lamar, Oxford's only traditional neighborhood, is under construction. Brought to you by John Welty Realty. A traditional neighborhood means right where you live. A grocery store, a brewery, restaurants, shops, all within walking distance of your front door. 
But what about the houses? They're custom high-end spec houses. Beautiful finishes, open concept, modern two-story houses. If you're looking for a three-bedroom, a two-bedroom, a one-bedroom, you'll find a fit with any of these three spacious layouts. Get in with the Lamar right now. Build out is happening. For more information, contact John Welty at john at johnweltyrealty.com. That's john at johnweltyrealty.com. Or give him a call at 662-23-HOMES. 662-23-HOMES. And now, back to Talk of Champions. Yeah, it takes a ton of communication. So, obviously, they're full go with football now. Um, but Coach Jackson and Coach Boone, both strength coaches for both programs, have to communicate a ton from a strength and conditioning standpoint just to kind of, hey, this is what we want. Obviously, with with baseball guys, there's not a ton of, like, heavy lifting, bench press, overhead stuff um, because there's an element of baseball players, as you know, that, that need some looseness and not, not necessarily the uh, – the muscle bound type guy for lack of a better term. Um, so there's a ton of communication that way. And then obviously from, from our staff standpoint, last myself, coach Bianco um, with the football staff, it's the same thing. So, uh, and even in the recruiting process, the football staff did a really good job of sitting down with us and Hey, let's, let's, let's walk this through and just almost a calendar and a timeline for the entire academic year of this is how it's going to go. These are your opportunities in the fall to be able to swing a bat a little bit. And here are your opportunities in the spring to maybe go over and um, get some work in as far as spring practice goes uh, in the middle of the baseball season. So uh, I think there's a real give and take there. There's got to be flexibility from both staffs, but open communication has been really good. Um, And I don't think it's like that everywhere, but coach Luke has been awesome. Obviously uh, the Luke family has a little bit of history over here from uh, the from the baseball program um, with Tom being a baseball player in, in his time here and man genuinely loves that their family loves the baseball program. Like they're sitting in the diamond club. I know you've seen them a ton um, for a lot of games. So uh, I think there's, there's really good communication and, and, and that was, like I said, important in the recruiting process. So um, we're going to see it through that way. There was so much coverage of Jerry on's decision because back when he signed with Ole Miss in February, he was considered a top-round pick in the MLB draft. And most assumed that he'd get drafted early and he'd sign and he'd go. Um, so there's been a lot of coverage of him. John Rice, also like Jerry, on a top 200 prospect. But the scouting report, no one really knows that. So for y'all, when y'all evaluated him as a baseball player, what is John Rice? Yeah, uh, John Rice was... Uh they were both different. You're right. Like a year ago right now, or, or even when Jerry on committed the first time, and I know football works a little bit different, verbal commitment, and then sweat it out till signing day. Thank the Lord that baseball. Uh, but, but the, from you're right. We thought, you know, at this time last year that Ely was, you know, probably a, a really good pick and, and, and may not show up to campus to play either sport, um, but maybe show up and not play baseball and kind of do the AJ Brown type thing and sign in, sign in baseball, but play college football. We, we weren't really sure. In answer to your question about Plumley, um, I didn't have a whole lot of looks at him up until the summer going into his, between his junior and senior year of high school. He was a rising senior and played with a prominent travel 
travel teams here in the southeast. Um, and the more we got, and he was committed to play football at Georgia at the time. And so, but we had a ton of commitments on that team from a baseball standpoint uh, with the East Coast Sox. And so, uh, the more we would go watch our commitments and some of the guys we were recruiting, um, the more this guy stuck stuck out you know he this was one of the best teams in the entire entire country and this dude was leading I mean verbally in the dugout it's just probably the one thing we miss from a baseball standpoint is that he's a quarterback and so that's all he knows and baseball has gotten to the point with travel baseball and everything where it's a little bit of a selfish sport those guys are out there and they're trying to get recruited or trying to get drafted with the summertime stuff and this guy was trying to win um, <laughs> that's all he knew. Um, and so I'm excited about him. I think he's got a chance to be really good, but similar to Ely, you know, just a really good athlete, um, that can play all three outfield positions, uh, and got strength in the bat. Like, I think he's, he's got a real chance to hit, but I think he will will himself to be a good player if he dedicates himself to it. Like, uh, he, he, he's really special personality wise. Uh, I think he's got just a just something a little bit different to him that, uh, that that makes him really really special and something maybe we don't have. Well, last thing on Jerry Young and John Rice before we move on to other baseball matters and get out of here, because of the opportunity losing so much from the starting roster and the opportunities that are available, starting spots, just playing time in general, is this team a better fit for guys who are trying to play both sports to come in and possibly make some type of impact? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good point. And I think it's a good fit for any new guy, really. But but in particular, to, to answer your question, yeah, I think it's a great fit for them. Because if you look at it on paper, again, as we sit here in August before school starts, you basically have three everyday players that are back in Servideo and Keenan and Graham. Now, all three of those pieces and, and did a lot for us, but um, he... But, you know, I, it's wide open. You you look at it that way and you got six spots that are wide open uh, because of departures to the draft or graduation. And um, what an opportunity for, for, for those guys and the rest of our, our signing class. So, um, yeah, I think they're in a great spot as far as being able to possibly make an impact on our team, you know, this spring. The only guy that was truly surprising from the draft that left was Houston Roth, not because – he left, most expected him once he did get drafted to leave, but that he got drafted. There was no information coming from MLB teams about Houston Roth. The Orioles never talked to him, and then they drafted him, and then he signs. But for you guys, anything about the draft that truly stunned you or caught you by surprise? I, I would say that the, the Roth thing was the only thing that I think really surprised us, um, just because it was a straight analytics um, he, he didn't, like you said, didn't meet with the, with the, with the Orioles and we were, I mean, I'm thrilled for him and he's having a great summer out in pro ball. Um, I don't want to make it sound like we think he's crazy for signing. Um, that's not the case at all. Once he got drafted, it was a good opportunity for him and he wanted to do it. And it's awesome. Um, but we were surprised that that's only because they hadn't met with him. And so that, that that's what makes college baseball tough as you're planning on a guy to be back. And then all of a sudden he signs, whether it's a high school or a current guy, um, and that happens. I, I would say the only other thing that surprised me was um, Cooper Johnson probably slipping a little further uh, down than what than what I thought he would. Um, 
you know, I think that guy's going to play in the big leagues. He's going to catch in the big leagues for a long time. I think his, you know, his floor is pretty high. You know, I think uh, at the worst, he's a backup catcher for like 10 years in the big leagues. Yeah, I think his um, floor is Eli Whiteside. Yeah, no, I think that's solid. I, I think that that's really solid. Um, and, you know, Jeff Mathis, you know, something like that. Um, and so I was a little bit surprised. I thought he, he would be a really safe pick, and he's already been promoted. Um, and, man, I just think he's special defensively. So I was a little bit surprised at that. But the rest of it, I think, went basically how we thought it'd go. So who was the biggest hit? Um, I don't know if there's one guy. I just think that group was really good. And, I, you know, obviously my, my brain goes more to the offensive side of things. And it's just that core group of Kessinger, Dillard, Zabowski, Olenek, that, that kind of core group that made up a really special offensive group that was really scary that, you know, that, that, that other dugouts feared a little bit. And obviously you throw Keenan and Graham and, and Servideo in there, but I just think at this level of baseball in our league, that's the really good offenses. It's not, man, it takes a really special guy for it to be one guy. Um, and I think it, for us, it was more strength in the numbers and just overwhelmed you by really good at bats up and down our lineup. So when I think of that group um, and how good we've been offensively the last two years, I think of more of the, the core of the group as opposed to, man, it's going to kill us losing this one guy. But we could sit there and we could go through the guys. And I think part of what made them really good is collectively – and it was just tough at bats. You know, you got Dillard, who is a prolific power guy, but he walked as many times as he struck out. You got Kessinger, who walked more than he struck out. You know, just the on-base percentage. And then you add to it. It's why OPS is such a, a, a big stat nowadays. Um, we had a bunch of guys that could get on base and hit the ball off and over the wall. And, and it's just a unique combination. Um and again, we still, you know, Keenan is still that guy. And I think Graham will continue to be better at being that guy. But, um, man, that, the core of that group could really do that aspect of it. Offensively, when you look at the newcomers, now I know what you're going to say. You're a coach. You're going to say they all have opportunity. We're excited about all of them. I get that. But when you're looking at guys that could come in and potentially impact the offense immediately, are there any guys you're really excited to get your hands on? We'll get right back to Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement, but first, I want to tell you about the Oxford Park Commission and Cheney's Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. The Oxford Park Commission is currently registering for youth flag football in the fall baseball season. Leagues are open for ages 6 to 12 in football and 6 to 15 in baseball. Cost to sign up for football is $50, while it's just $40 for baseball. Each sport will be played at FNC Park. For more details, visit www.oxfordparkcommission.com. That's www.oxfordparkcommission.com. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney's Pharmacy. Chinese Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. 
I'll answer it in two different ways. The first one is the two junior college guys. Uh, we knew probably as Laugh and I put our heads together, the one mistake we made from the 16th season going into the 17th season, and we had the number one recruiting class coming into that year, was we probably didn't supplement enough junior college guys. And so we had, you know, those five freshmen played a ton and struggled in 17. So we didn't make that mistake this time from an offensive standpoint. We got two guys. Um, we got more than two junior college guys, but two guys I'm super excited about, Hayden Leatherwood um, from, from Northwest and then Cale Baker from uh, Wabash up in, up in Illinois. Baker um, will be a – he'll, he'll never pay for a meal in Oxford um, if, he, if he hits like he did in junior college. He won the junior college triple crown, and his uh, – he looks like the door frame. Um, you know, like kind of a little bit of a Dillard look to him. Um, looks like a refrigerator, just squared off, dude. But he can really hit, so I'm excited about him. He's a right-handed hitter. Um, and then Leatherwood is a left-handed hitter. So ex- really excited about those two junior college guys that probably won't get as much press as the recruiting rankings come out as the high school guys will. Um, but then from the high school standpoint, a couple guys right off the top of my head that, that I'm excited about Hayden Dunhurst, who was probably our, maybe our highest prospect coming, coming in that we were worried about with the draft. He's a left-handed hitting catcher um, that is probably right now um, a hit first catcher, um, but, but, but can catch um, ton of arm strength. And um, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, we're going to push him to a different position because that's not the case. Um, but I think potentially a middle of the order type bat. And then the other guy is Trey LaFleur, um, who is a first baseman outfielder, um, athletic, also a left-handed pitcher, um, guy that was a Dodgers draft pick in the early 20s, and they made a run at him at the end of the signing period, tried to sign him. And, um, man, he, he has a really smooth and sweet left-handed swing. It'll be easy to pick out, you know, when you're out at our first practice this fall. You're going to look at him and be like, yeah, that guy can hit. Um, so those four guys are the guys that stick out as you ask that question. We'll talk again with fall camp – or not fall camp. Look at me. I'm talking football. But fall <laughs> practices, fall ball coming in just a little bit. But I know that you can't really get into it too much or don't want to get into it too much. But this will be the only time we get to really ask you about it. You talked to Texas A&M. You almost thought about leaving. What was that like for you? How close did you get? And what made you stay at Ole Miss? Yeah, um, it was tough. And, and, and the only reason it was tough, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, I wouldn't want to leave this place for another assistant coaching job. Um, and that place is, is unique to me um, because my relationship with Rob Childress, I was there for three years as his volunteer assistant. My wife, my wife went to school there and is from, you know, the greater Houston area. Um, so there was a lot of draws to that place. But ultimately, um, both Amanda, my, my wife Amanda and myself, uh, we love it here and we've created our own niche here. We started a family here. Um, and Mike Bianco has been tremendously loyal to me, um, throughout my five years here. And it's the guy that I want to work for. Um, it's, uh, this is a great place. And, and, uh, did it get close? Sure. And, you know, it's crazy how that stuff works now with, uh, you know, shoot, uh, Texas A&M calling me and, uh, it's on Twitter like 10 minutes later. I have no clue how all that stuff happens, but you, uh, you guys are really good at your job. So yeah. um, that uh, it was, it was a tough weekend, I guess, um, trying to figure, figure things out. But ultimately 
Um, I love this place and it's because of the people. Um, the people here are special. Um, they've taken Amanda and I, and now our son Cooper in and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a neat place. And I feel like there's some unfinished business here that, uh, that, uh, we have to take care of before uh, before we leave this place. You can't do anything quietly anymore. I, I can just imagine, because I could talk about it now, who cares? When you're going through this process, talking to Texas A&M, talking to Ole Miss, and then you get a random text from me thinking, oh, this is quiet, and then it says, hey, so what are you thinking about Texas A&M? What, what the hell? Looking at your phone. Yeah, it's the way it goes, man. You can't do anything quietly anymore. That's that's a fact. You know, it used to be where baseball, you know, you kind of look at that stuff and it's like football, basketball world, but baseball has turned into that. Um, but it's way more good than bad, man. Like uh, you'd much rather have it that way um, because guys like you are super interested in baseball. And uh, it's why so many people show up to our stadium uh, for a Tuesday night game against Arkansas State, let alone SEC weekend. So um, there's a lot of good in all of that. And uh you know, you always think as a young coach, man, I'd love to be up for jobs and be the name that's talked about. And then when you're in that position, you're like, man, I don't like nothing about this. So, <laughs> uh, but, uh, we're, we're fortunate, man. We're, we're really fortunate to be here and be around some great people. Real quickly, the cliff notes version, you, you've talked to me for 30 minutes. I didn't mean to keep you this long, but you brought up recruiting as it compares to football and football. My God. I mean, when kids commit, it ain't over ever. Why is it that way for baseball? Why is it when a kid commits? Why is there a gentleman's agreement? It's not like that in any other sport. Really good question. And I'm not sure it'll stay like that. Um, I'm happy that it's like that as we sit here right now um, because we're recruiting three or four classes at a time. And uh, the other thing, and I think part of the reason it's like that is because we all know the elephant in the room and the thing that looms once you commit a guy is the draft. And so I don't know if we all just think, Hey, this, this whole thing is stupid and hard enough the way it is that we're not going to mess with other people's recruits. Occasionally you'll get a guy that decommits for one reason or the other, um, that, that, that you pick up, but it's very rare. You're right. In baseball, it's a gentleman's agreement that once a kid has committed somewhere else, we never call him. And, uh, I'm happy it's that way. Um, because I, I wouldn't want to get in with the draft looming, um, and recruiting three or four different classes um, into all the decommitments and trying to recruit guys until they show up on campus. Um, that would get tough. It's tough enough the way it is. Um, I guess that's not a great answer. I don't know why it's like that. I, I don't either. Why. My response to that is always, we'll circle back to 2020 and see if it's like that anymore because it's probably not going to be. I would tend to agree with you. <laughs> It'll change. It'll change. It's Mike Clement, Ole Miss assistant baseball coach. He's the man at M Clement BSB on Twitter for those of you that want to stay in touch with him. But thank you so much for doing this, man. I appreciate you. We'll do it again. Yeah, I always enjoy it. Thanks, man. That was Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement joining us on the Modern Woodman phone line. Talk of Champions is powered by BNA Bank. I don't know about you, but I want my banking made simple. And I certainly want to trust the people who've got my money. Well, if you're like me, BNA Bank is where you need to go. Maybe you're a student just starting out. You don't know much about personal banking or business banking, loan services. Well, I tell you who does. BNA Bank, be it Mike Staten, Bo Collins, Vance Witt, my buddy Bob Spencer. These are friends of the podcast. Ole Miss fans, sure, but more importantly, they care about you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to make sure that your banking experience is done flawlessly, comfortably, and with trust and respect. With a five-star rating from Bauer Financial and an excellent rating from Weiss Ratings. 
DNA Bank is recognized as one of the strongest financial institutions in the country. But where can you find them? How about bnabank.com? Or give them a call, 662-534-8171. 662-534-8171. BNA's main office and two branch offices are located in New Albany, my hometown, with another branch located in Myrtle, two branches in Tupelo and Lee County, Mississippi, and one loan production office in Oxford. Where you put your money matters. And the only place to put your money, the only place that Ben Garrett puts his money is BNA Bank. So check them out, bnabank.com, 662-534-8171. There's no other place. They've helped me. They'll help you. Tell them Ben Garrett of Talk of Champions sent you. And now, back to Talk of Champions. All right, Nick, before we get out of here, Ole Miss picked up a transfer on Monday. Some news. Chase Rogers from ULL, tied in, hit the transfer portal. And now he's going to be an Ole Miss Rebel. He's got to set out a year. He's going to be a walk-on, but he'll go on scholarship with two years to play two starting next year. And it's at a position of need for Ole Miss. Lose Jason Pellerin. You'll lose Octavius Cooley after the year. Ole Miss has no ready-made replacement to step in at tight end. Chase Rogers could potentially help him. He was a record-setting tight end at St. Stanislaus when he was coming out of high school. I like the pickup. What did you think of it? I think that for every reason you just said, it makes sense to go and get a veteran tight end. I know before the break, you and I talked a little bit about bringing in JUCOs, and I think we might have a different opinion on JUCOs just because I think that you don't go get them unless you know they're going to play. You don't go get a guy for two years to be a backup. I think of Chase Rogers the same way. You don't go get him to sit him. I mean, maybe if you're Alabama, maybe if you're Georgia or Clemson, you can have the luxury to go get anybody. But when you go get a guy like Chase Rogers you're getting somebody who you're going to use. Maybe the Devon Peniman experiment really works out and the two of them can both play tight end together. But you're right. They don't have any marquee experience at tight end coming back next year. You start asking yourself, well, you got Jonathan Hess. I don't remember if Alex Faneuil going to be back next year. You've got yeah, he is, but guys forgive like me, that. I have no confidence in that kid at all. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like You have no players that have exhibited any ability to be full-time tight ends. You go and get this guy. It seems like you probably wouldn't have used him this year. It's safe to sit him in his transfer year. Yeah, let him nurse that injured foot. Yeah, let him learn. And uh, it seems like that offense next year will no more Scotty, but that's about it. You lose your tight ends and Scotty and Alex Givens. You got a lot of time to uh, fit him into an offense that'll be much more experienced in 2020 than it is in 2019. It makes way too much sense. And I'm not saying Chase Rogers is going to come in here and set the world on fire. I don't even know what he is. Maybe his upside, his ceiling is Dawson Knox. I don't know. Dawson Knox was the third round pick of the Buffalo Bills. Let's not get crazy here, but maybe that's his ceiling. What's his floor? Maybe a little bit higher than a tight end you'd go otherwise sign from Juco. He's played at the highest level before at ULL. Now, ULL is a step down, but here's how his recruitment worked. He was committed to Tennessee, stepped back, wanted to review his options. Tennessee filled the spot. He thought he was going to go to Texas, ended up not getting the Texas offer he sought. And at that point, all the spots had been taken up. He went to ULL. But now he's coming to Ole Miss, and in my opinion, it's a perfect fit. And if you're handicapping it, and I use that word all the time, but if you're handicapping it right now, who's your starting tight end next year? It's Chase Rogers. It's pretty obvious at this point because there's no obvious replacement for Octavius Cooley and Jason Pellerin. There's not. Jonathan Hess is an experiment. It's a lottery ticket at best. Um, I don't believe in Alex Faneuil at all. And that's not to be disrespectful towards the kid. He's a good kid. I'm sure he's uh, nice as he can be, but this is business. And I have no belief that he can be a capable tight end in the SEC. Chase Rogers can be that for you. 
And when your number one need offensively next year, when you're looking at the overall layout of the starting lineup, it's tight end. And now you feel that need to where it's not the glaring, obvious hole that it was otherwise going to be in recruiting. Absolutely. I, I think that assuming that the offense runs the same way in 2020 that it does in 2019, Rich Rod has shown this full and he's talked about he's willing to run some 12 packages, he's even some 22 packages. He likes having multiple tight ends he can use. And that makes me think, they might not be done with the tight end market. Maybe they're looking and going out and getting a freshman off of recruiting. Maybe they're looking at getting a grad transfer. If oh, they yeah, use yeah, yeah. Ends, it's not going to stop them from signing J.J. Yeah. Piggies, for example, and let him sure. get into that room and potentially start over Chase Rogers. What this is, more than anything else, is a hell of a security blanket, and that's something they didn't have. They had no safety net, and now at worst Absolutely. you have a good safety net, and that's a big deal. Oh, I think so too. I think so too. I mean, Piggies is obviously the name that everybody is familiar with, and that's if he plays tight end. Uh, he could be a defensive end. He could be a wide receiver. He could be a very, very tall running back. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of options they have. They're definitely not done at that position, but they're much more secure now than they were three weeks ago. All right, what are your feelings right now? Ten days out, Ole Miss kicking off against Memphis in the Liberty Bowl. What are you feeling about this team? You see a bowl possibility for this team. Because when you look at the athletic, you had Feldman, Staples, Mandel come together, say Ole Miss was going to win four games at most. I think Feldman had them at three and nine, only winning one SEC game. Are you leaning more that way, or do you think they could be a little bit better? I think there is a roadmap to six. Whether they can follow it, I think a lot of things have to go right. I I kind of stick vague most of the time with my projections, but one thing I've said Ooh. consistently... No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get declarative. One thing I've said consistently is the easiest answer is they'll be as good as they were last year. And I think if they go five and seven again, that's a win because you lose so much talent. Yeah, that's fair. But I don't think fans are going to see it that way. I think going six and six, five and seven, five and seven in a three-year span is not going to make the boosters want to throw more money at the program. But I think right now the easiest answer is there are six games. There are five games they should win, six games they can win, eight games that if you twist my arm, maybe I can be talked into it. I think that it's more likely that they drop one they shouldn't and they win one they shouldn't and they still end up at five or six. But I think we'll learn a lot from these first two games because if you start off 0-1, I think you can recover. If you start off 0-2, those athletic projections start to look real good. He's Nick Suss. He writes for the Jackson Clarion Ledger at Nick Suss on Twitter. Before I let you go, what are you working on right now? Where can the people find your stuff first and what are you working on? Give me a tease. All right, you can find my stuff at clarionledger.com. Twitter is at Nick Suss. Y'all can subscribe to the paper, subscribe to the online edition, whatever you want. I'm going to have some cool stuff coming out Memphis week to preview the season. I'm going to be looking backwards a little bit to a Ole Miss Memphis game in the past that maybe some people remember, maybe some people wish they didn't remember. And I will also be uh, looking at one question that people have about Ole Miss and Memphis in general of why the hell ain't there uh, any Memphis players on this Ole Miss team? That's been the uh, million-dollar question for about 10 years now. We can get into that. That could be a whole different other podcast, quite frankly. If you want to talk about Memphis recruiting, you could ask me about it. Just make sure you don't write about the three-to-nothing Ole Miss win when Ole Miss won in the Liberty Bowl. That was an awful game. I was there for that. Oh, were you, Ben? Yeah. You know this about yeah. me. I was at all these games. Whatever you write about, I've probably been there. Most likely. Yeah, no. That's, you'll, you'll see if you're surprised or not. I'll just oh, okay. put it that. All right. Are you going to come back on and guest co-host? Do you have a good time? 
Yeah, anytime you need me, Ben. I'm okay. happy to help. All right. You're so nice. You sound like a children's storybook reader on a children's program. It's like, yeah, Ben. Yeah, I'll come back on. It'd be great. You want me to You want me to just deepen the voice for the outro just so I come off a lot gruffer and no. less monotone? Okay, so I'll just keep my mind. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy, Ben. I'm happy you okay. called me. All right, good. He wears ties. He talks like he's reading a story to your children. He's Nick Suss at Nick Suss on Twitter, writes for the Clarion Ledger. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. All right. Looking forward to it. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Code STAPLE20. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.